Charlemagne the God is a radio legend. He's an incredible interviewer. He's a guy who's mastered the role of provocateur, who knows how to be a lovable asshole. That is what his role at The Breakfast Club was originally defined as, the lovable asshole. And I totally get it. I have mad respect for Charlemagne, and sometimes I watch his Breakfast Club interviews and think, damn, he handled that moment really well, and he controlled the conversation. I can learn something from the way he does his thing. And sometimes I watch his interviews and I get mad at him and I throw virtual tomatoes at the computer screen. He's undeniably smart and he's truly in the moment when he's doing his interviews. He's got the pre-planned questions, of course, but he really listens and follows the flow of the conversation. And that is a big part of doing great interviews. And he knows how to get to the nub of the issue. And when he wants to, he knows how to get under your skin. When I was on The Breakfast Club earlier this year, I was definitely scared of what Charlemagne might ask me. He's intense. He's a media force, and I had to see what makes him tick. So I emailed him, and he was mad cool, and he came down to the studio. And we recorded this a few months ago before the recent allegations that he denies, so we don't address that here. We focus on everything that's led to his success. It's Charlemagne the God on Touré Show. I'm blessed, black, and highly favored, sir. Indeed you are. Yes, sir. What do you love about doing radio? What do I love about doing radio? I love the immediate connection with people every day. I love doing morning radio because it's like, you know, I set the tone for a lot of people's day. Like, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm big on, like, setting. I'm big on the setting of tones. Like, when I wake up in the morning, I don't go to my phone. I don't check my emails. I don't check my text messages. I pray. I go read my daily affirmations out of my daily stoic book and out of my Joel Osteen daily bread book. I get in my car, I listen to 90s R&B, and I listen to Oprah Super Soul podcast. I just want to set the right tone. So, you know, A tone of love, of acceptance, of... Just good energy, positive energy. You know, I, I think for me it's more of a tone of gratitude, just being thankful. And, and you know, I, I actually was thinking about this yesterday. I, I feel like the, when I feel gratitude the most is when I'm actually thankful that I can do something for somebody else when I'm of service to others. Like, you know, you're thankful that you can help a friend with some money or thankful you can, you know, get, buy a movie theater out so a bunch of kids can see Wrinkle in Time. Like, you're, right. I'm thankful for those things. Like, right. so, so just attaching myself to uh, that feeling of gratitude every morning, I'm thankful for that. So, yeah, I'm just thankful that I'm able to set people's tone every day. Just, just, to, just to complete the thought, when do you, at what point in the morning do you allow in the email and the internet? 6 a.m. So what time do you get up? 4.20. 4.20, and you spend that first hour and a half just downloading Absolutely. positive messages, gratitude. and Because soon, soon as 6 a.m. starts, the fuck shit starts. <laughs> soon as 6 a.m. is when the show starts, and that's when you start getting all the tweets off. Fuck you. You know, I, I can post, thank you, God, for blessing me with another day of life. Oh, I wish you had died. Like, that's when all of that starts coming in. When that is coming in, what does the positivity that you've downloaded, does, is that like an antidote? Does that like boost you to deal with the negativity? Yeah, it does. But then it's really such a, a crazy conflict. Like, you know, my therapist is like, she said, it's three things that you have to do. You have to avoid, approach, or attach. So I'm already, you know, I'm trying to avoid it. But then when I get to work at 6 a.m., I have to approach it. Yeah. So I just have to attach myself to something positive in order to like just keep going. So it's kind of like I got to attach myself back to those thoughts that I had when I first woke up in the morning. 
You know what I mean? Just to get through that that assault of negativity that is going to come my way. <laughs> now, so do you think that you spread negativity on your show? At certain times. Yeah, at certain times. At certain times. You you are comfortable playing that antagonist who's gonna say that crazy thing. So you Well, are, I'm I'm not playing a role. I, I didn't I didn't yeah. I didn't mean playing a role. Gotcha. But but that's that I didn't mean playing a role in a negative sense. Mm-hmm. But there's a role that each of you play on the show and you're gonna do certain things that Envy wouldn't do, that Angela wouldn't do. Um so it's interesting that you that you that you fill yourself up with such positivity mm-hmm. and then you have this other side of you that comes out when you do the show i think it switched a lot though i mean i you definitely can't say i'm i'm the same person i was seven years ago okay or even three four years ago i think it's been a lot i think it's been a lot of growth and a lot of evolution just because i am aware of that and i'm not trying to make anybody feel uncomfortable i used to always tell angie martinez the beauty of her when i see her do interviews is she has she knows how to make people feel comfortable yes you know and that's something that i've tried to learn to do and I think people are realizing that they know I'm not malicious you know what I'm saying like they know I'm not a, trying to attack you I'm not a gotcha journalist okay I, I would hope I'm not I don't I don't think I come off like I that. don't think you're a gotcha I think you're like the streets are saying this I'm yes. gonna put it to your face yes and, and 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 we live in an era now where everybody should be okay with that because of social media like these people these celebrities we interview, these athletes, uh, activists, political pundits, whatever, they see what people say about them. They read what's going on about them in the news. They read what's going on about them on social media. So for me to bring that to them and have them answer it directly, I think that's a but great you, thing. You, but you, you call it the most dangerous radio show. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I know when I did your show, <laughs> I was scared. <laughs> I was like, what's he going to say How's he going to try to hem me up? Da, da, da. And you were mad respectful, and it was a great conversation, and I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. But I, I went in there tense, and like I was like, okay, where's it coming? Where's it coming? I'm going to be ready for it. And I wonder how many other people step in there tense because they know, oh, Charlemagne's going to say some shit. Even if you don't, th- there's a certain mood set by your yeah. reputation, what you've done. And I wonder what impact that has on the interviews. Um, I think a lot. But I think it's also a good thing, too, though, because people know they can't come in there and bullshit us. Like, a lot of times people come in there, and, and one of the ways I think they think that they're disarming us is just putting it all out on the table beforehand. Like, I, I, I can have a list of questions and just be sitting there like, oh, okay, well, I didn't even have to, I, I didn't think it was going to go in that direction. I thought we would have to get to that. But now we're getting to that point where they're just laying it all out there. But one of the things I like to do, whatever the hot button topic is, like tell you like when Tiger Jenner came and everybody was like about him and Kylie. Boom, that's the first question. Immediately off the top. Are you, are, were, are, are you a pedophile? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> not, not saying that I think he is, but that's what everybody on social media was but saying. But deal with it right away. Deal with it right away. Let's get it out the way. I feel like once you take it there, then everything else just falls. You are place. good at like the short, immediate, bang question. Learn that from Larry King, man. Like King told me one time, and just having a conversation with him, he was like, "Yo, just always ask why." He's like, that's the most important question you can ask. Like, it's not difficult. Why? And all my interviewers don't ask long-winded questions. Oprah right. don't ask long-winded questions. Uh, you know, Larry King don't ask long-winded questions. They're quick, quick, quick. Like, I hate people that ask long-winded questions. Why do you like the short questions? Because they're simple and basic, and it's just it's 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 easy to answer. Are you a pedophile? It's harder to get away from. Mm. Right, I find like if you ask mm. a longer question, there's more room for them to, to slide deflect. around yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, why did you punch that girl? Yes, the, you, you yeah, can't yeah, go yeah, off. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I also find 
if you ask a lot of short questions, the other person starts talking a lot. Mm-hmm. And just the intake of breath just makes them just forget a little bit the control and yeah. the mask. And they start to say things they might not otherwise say. You yeah. know what I mean? And let, let it be an air of uncomfortability. Like if you ask somebody something and it's a short question and they don't re- respond, just let it sit there for a minute. Yeah, silence. Because then they great. feel a little awkward. So then they be like, see, this is what I mean. I got to, and then they go into explanation. You know what I mean? Don't give them an out. Nah, the silence is really important as yeah. a, fo- a silent follow-up can really accomplish a lot. Absolutely. A lot of journalists will jump in. They don't. They fear the silence. Yes. If you don't say anything, the other person will fill it up. That's what I hate sometimes on The Breakfast Club. When it's a nice little awkward moment, let it be awkward. Ye don't jump in. And if you don't jump in, just let it be awkward for a moment. Because that's going to make them that person have to say something. Especially when they know they're on camera. Because they know they look awkward in that moment. So they got to say something. <laughs> yeah, man, you you remind me of some of the some of the moments with the cycle when it was like, don't don't say nothing, <laughs> just let just let it let just it let breathe. it go. There, there, we had this 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 firefighter on once who was in uh, who was who was not there on nine eleven, and his man had taken his place, and I knew that he was feeling a way about it. I could feel the guilt on him that he sent his friend to do his shift that day so he could go to court and his friend died. Mm. And, you know, I asked him something and I could feel the tears about to come. And I think Abby started to jump in. I'm like, don't say nothing. And, and then a moment later, the tears came. And, you know, I mean, it, you got it, your moment. It's real. It's real. It's real. <laughs> yeah, and I wasn't like trying to make him cry, but it yeah. was like a real moment. We're talking about 9 11. It's a real moment. But you, are you going for moments? Are you going for, like, what are you trying to accomplish with the way that you approach the Breakfast Club? I just want to create good content. And I, I'm a fan at the end of the day. Like, I, I feel like whenever I sit down and I have a conversation with somebody, I approach it with a sense of discovery. You know what I yes. mean? Like, I'm not an expert at anything. I hate these people who act like experts. I hate these hip-hop purists who act like they know everything about the culture and the game and what they say goes. I'm always sitting down with people, and it's a sense of discovery. So all I'm really trying to do is have a good conversation, create good content. I want to be entertained. I want to be educated. I feel like if I'm entertained and I'm educated, then my listener will be entertained and my listener will be educated. And by the way, you can't create those moments like those moments like a moment like a Birdman or whatever that comes from a, a that comes from a place of me being honest well, right Birdman walked in the room upset Ready. about the past all, all, all guns are blazing let's go into Beanie for a minute yes. right Beanie Siegel was a big mm-hmm. interview and it was ch- it was challenging because he was really challenging you and he was like socially like accepting envy and he's like, I don't like. And at one point, he tells you to shut up, mm-hmm. right? And he's dissing you. You're not qualified, right? Yeah. And interviewers, if you do enough interviews, you will get into that position where the subject is not fucking with you at that moment. So, what do you do? What are you thinking? How do you feel to be able to not have it go off the rails? Because you don't want him to storm out. Because then you have less content. I don't care. Birdman's so, interview was two minutes twenty seconds long. <laughs> right, right, right. But right. <laughs> But I mean, like, but you, you could have said some wild stuff to insult Beanie, and that's not the best television, the best radio. Nah, because first of all, number one, I'm a fan of Beanie Siegel. Like, Beanie Siegel's music is incredible. Beanie's an incredible lyricist. Um, but in that moment, I didn't like the way he was moving when it came to Meek Mill. He had did my man Tax Stone's podcast, and it really just sounded like he was hate- hating on Meek. Like, but just, here he's in your studio on your show yeah. telling you to shut up. 
Yeah. And you didn't attack him. Nah, because it was based off everything I'm saying right now. Like, I told him, I feel like he's an opportunist. But you let you let it go to envy. Yeah. And the energy calmed down a little bit. And then you came back in with another question. And I'm just like, I know some people might feel away after mm-hmm. an artist you respect who's from the street tells you, shut up. Not me. Because all I, all I did at the end of the day was tell him exactly how I felt. Same thing I was saying when he wasn't there. Same thing I was saying on the Breath Club, same thing I was saying on my podcast. So when he came, I said it directly to him. I think that, you know, your opportunities, I mean, your loyalty lies with whoever's presenting you an opportunity at the moment. If that upsets you, cool, I'm fine with that. So you don't, it doesn't bother you to have someone like that who you respect tell you to shut up? Nah, because, I mean. That would hurt me. Nah. Cause and I'd have to work around that. Nah. It's like, like Beanie Siegel, if I Me listening to Beanie Siegel my whole life and thinking I know what kind of guy he is or the character he portrays, if I tell him that I think his loyalty lies with whoever's providing him an opportunity, I have to know he's not going to hug me and say, you know what? You're right, Charlemagne. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, I understand. Look, I don't want to run down the whole Monique thing again. I know your perspective. We know her perspective. But again, just the, the, the crazy situations that interviewers sometimes get put in. When she's up there saying your government name, and that's not the name you are professionally rocking with. So she's trying to be disrespectful. And I know I would be very upset if somebody came at me with that tactic. So what are you feeling and what are you doing to not get upset and to not react because she's trying to trigger you? I'm going to be honest. That didn't bother me at all. And okay. like even that day, Envy was like, "Yo, she was trying to disrespect you." I'm like, "That's my name. I hear that name every day." What do you think? You think my <laughs> wife calls me Charlemagne? You think my mom, my, my my wife calls me Lenard? My my mom calls me Lenard. Like every my family calls me Lenard. My little two year old daughter, here's my wife called me. She starts saying Lenard instead of Daddy. Like, so I'm like, why would her calling me by my government name be taken as a form of disrespect? Like that's the that's the name of my checks. When I executive produce shows, it says Lenard, See the God, McKelvey. Like, I, I, I honestly didn't understand why people took that as an insult. It didn't bother you. Nah, not even a little bit. So, okay, larger. What is the key, or what are some of the keys to being great at radio? Mm, being yourself, authenticity. Like that's that's honestly the number one key. Like if you want to be great at radio and you want to stand out. Truly be yourself. Like, like everybody else is taken. Like, I've seen, you know, people, you know, they call me the hip-hop Howard Stern, but I'm not trying to be Howard, you know? Sure. I, there's nothing, there's nothing, if you actually listen to Howard, me and Howard really don't have any similarities. Not not to me, anyway. You know, I think he's an amazing interviewer. I, I, I want to I hope to get to that level. You know, hopefully therapy gets, helps me get to that level as well, because I feel like it's a, when I, now, now that I've been in therapy and I hear his interviews, I can hear a lot of that therapy talk when he's talking to his guests. So hopefully over time, that's something that'll, um, you know, convey through me. But just be yourself. Like, I've seen jocks try to be other people and crash and burn like that. Like, I hate when people say, oh, Charlamagne, you're a shock jock. I'm like, nah, because I'm not trying to say anything to purposely shock you. Like, I don't feel like it's any value in shock whatsoever. People say shock value. No, there's no value in shock. I I personally don't think so. So I just think authenticity, being yourself, like it's the easiest thing in the world to be. Like getting on that microphone, talking about your life, what you're going through, what's going on at your house. Like I'm not afraid to be transparent and talk about things that are happening with me. Who are some of the hosts that you look up to and think are some of the greatest? Oh, man. Um, Howard Stern, of course. I think that the star and Buck Wild Morning Show with Ms. Jones, 
when it was on Hot 97 was like probably the greatest morning show of all time. That one or the when they were on Power 105? Nah, the one on Hot. You go back to Hot? Yeah, because Miss Jones. Like Miss Jones was a great personality. Uh, she was dope. And you had Star in there who's a great personality. Miss Jones, like that's, that dynamic was, was really dope. I love Petey Green. You know what I mean? I, I study a lot of Petey Green. Petey Green was a radio personality in D.C. Don Cheeto actually made a movie about Petey Green called Talk To Me. That's a great movie. Um, of, of course, you know, the Tom Joyners, you know, because of, of what Tom Joyner did as far as the business aspect, you know, uh, owning his own nationally syndicated morning show. I just... You started working with a legend, Wendy, Wendy Williams. Yeah. Uh, what did you learn from her that you carry forward? Wendy's show prep was incredible. Uh, Wendy's the first person ever told me that show prep is not something you just do an hour before the show. Show prep is something that's constant, meaning that Wendy could be in a retail store the day before shopping, having conversations with people, and something would happen in that store that she would bring to the radio. Something simple. It could be something like, don't you hate when you return clothes and you know this happens and that happens? Everybody goes through stuff like that. So you, something as minute as that becomes like the most relatable thing in the world. I like I like, I like uh, hot sauce on my potato chips. You know? And I sit down and I watch my show. Like she'll, she'd talk about watching a show like Scandal, but then walk you through her pregame of what her snacks were and what she was going to eat that night. Like all of that stuff builds a different connection with your audience. So she taught me that just show prep was something that was all the time. So that's how you look at it. Is that is that how you look at oh, it? Oh, absolutely. Like show prep is a constant thing. Like uh, anybody will tell you that's around me, they're like, he going to bring that to the air. You know what I'm saying? Like Envy and Angie be like, I'm not doing, I'm not saying that around Charlamagne because Charlamagne going to talk about it on the radio. Because nothing <laughs> is off limits. Like let's have the conversation. Like let's, let's talk about everything. Like that's how I feel like you connect with, with your audience in a real way. So talk about therapy and how it has helped you professionally. Oh, man. Therapy has helped me professionally because it's it's helping me so much personally. And, you know, like I said, I'm transparent. So my personal life is my 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 professional life. But it's just kind of helping me figure things out. But I think before therapy, I even realized that it's okay not to know. I think that that's something that's very lost in this era that we're in. Everybody has to know every motherfucking thing. Like, everybody has to be an expert at something. Like, like nobody can ever just sit back and be like, I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. Like, everybody has an opinion on something. Everybody has a hot take. Everybody has a POV. Instead of just sitting back and saying, you know what, I, I don't know. And that's what therapy does for me. Therapy helps me just to go in and realize that it's okay not to know. It's okay just to, you know, figure things out. Like, uh, my therapist just recently told me, she said, you need to let go of uh, expectations of people. I'm like, wow, something as simple as that. Because you know, you you open up your your Instagram right now, your Twitter, you read a think piece, or uh, you be like, where is this coming? Like, what's wrong with this person? What is wrong with this person? What are you talking about? You gotta let go of your expectation of people. That's that's them. You know, that's them. That's their POV. That's their thoughts. Like, you can't, you know, uh, you can't have people's expectations. And, and, and align them with yours. Because the way you think is different. The information you have is different. The way you live your life is different. So I can't have this, the expectations for myself that I have for other people because they don't know what I know and they're not me. So you got to just let that go. Well, you started talking before about therapy infecting your questions. Yes. So how has therapy helped you as an interviewer? Being more understanding. You know, 
I mean, I've always been a good listener, but you know, when you sit down with a therapist, like they're really listening. Yeah. You know, and I think sometimes that's why the long form conversation is so great nowadays because, man, sometimes these artists just want to be listened to. And that's why I learned that a long time ago watching Oprah and Diane Sawyer and Barbara Walters. Like, damn, why are their interviews so good? Because they actually sit down and, and, and talk to people for an hour. Like they give it time, you know what I mean? It's not like how when I was st- first started doing radio and I had a five-minute talk break, uh, and a five-minute talk break here and a three-minute talk break there, and you had to get in and out real quick. Like, no, they really sitting down having conversations. That's why the Breakfast Club, we do a lot of interviews after the show because we, we give time to sit there and just have real conversations with people. So I just think it's helping me just being able to be an even better listener because I don't think you can ever stop improving on listening. Right. And everybody's always so busy trying to improve on talking. Instead of improving on listening. I mean, I would imagine the effort to know yourself and the the learning of yourself Mm -hmm. would give you a chance to understand other people. Yeah. I mean, I know that's why, in a a lot of ways, it might be affecting my professional career because when you're young and you grew up in, like, South Carolina and you new to all of this, you think you know about the industry, but you really have no idea. So you believe every world star hip hop conspiracy. You believe all of the things you see on YouTube about people. I grew up, I came up with Wendy Williams. She's telling me everybody's gay and this, you know what I mean? Like I've got all of these things in my mind. So when I'm talking to these artists, I think I already know. But then as you grow in the game and, and, and you know, you start to rise, you start looking online and seeing things about yourself that are totally not true. Like, I mean, absolutely, positively, not even remotely true. I've seen Charlemagne is gay. I've seen Charlemagne bleaches his skin. You know what I mean? Charlemagne's wife is white. Like, like I mean, just straight up lies. So right. when, once you know that, then you know that a lot of these things that you see about your favorite celebrity, your favorite entertainer, is not even true. Now, if you, you, can cho- you can still choose to ask the question if you want. You know, just because, just because it's out there, it depends on what the roar is about it. I'd be like, yo, online, they saying this about you. Uh, yo, I read here that they said this about you. How do you feel about that? I mean, I think a lot of people don't realize how much of a performance the interview is. That we have to be in the moment like an athlete, like thinking, like, what do I do next? Mm-hmm. Where do I take this? Mm-hmm. The least little word could take the question from here to somewhere else. Yes. And that's not where I wanted to be. Yes. And and so just to, can you take me through a little bit of what you are thinking as you're going through the interview so that you are shaping it to go in the direction you want it to go? Well, honestly, it's, I'm just having a conversation. Like, you know, I can write down 10 questions that I have prepared to ask in this interview. But Envy might ask the question first. Angela might ask the question first. This person might get to it before I even get to ask the question, you know. So I can't even really focus on that. That's just there for me to have. Mostly it's just about listening to the conversation. If you're really listening to somebody and really engaged with them and talking and have a conversation, you won't miss those little nuances of things. I think that you miss things when um, you're so busy focused on what you want to ask. You know what I mean? If I got 10 questions and I'm like, I got to get to these questions, I'm really not listening to you. I'm listening with the intent to reply, not the intent to understand. I'm always sitting there having a conversation, listening to understand a person and listening to what they say. Because like you said, not only can one word throw an interview off, one word can take an interview a whole nother place that's sure. even better than you thought it was. Yes. So I just think I'm just, I'm just listening, man. I'm, I'm really trying to intently listen and have a conversation with a person. Like I really want to talk to you, like I said, with the intent to understand, not to reply. So 
most of what you are saying you didn't plan? It depends. Like I said, I always have 10 questions. Right. And by the way, I used to always make sure I had 10. Nowadays, I don't fight it. If it's five good questions that I want to ask uh, or, or something that I see everybody talking about on social media, we're going to get that. We're going to ask that first and get that out the way. But sometimes people say things in interviews that take me somewhere else. Like I was talking to Pastor John Gray and uh, his wife this morning. Uh, I don't want to mispronounce the name. It's Aventura, I believe. But, you know, they were talking about marriage counseling. And, you know, that's just the conversation that came up. So I'm like, yo, you know, y'all, later on, I'm like, yo, y'all mentioned marriage counseling, you know, but y'all don't seem to have problems. And so they went into a whole conversation about, yeah, it's, it's maintenance. But that's just coming from me listening and hearing them say, oh, yeah, we go to marriage counseling. Because I, I think I might have asked them who helps y'all, who do y'all talk to? I didn't think they were going to say they go to actual marriage counseling. So that just opened up a whole broader conversation that I know a lot of my listeners are going to be listening to. Like, yo, I'm going to look into that, too. You know what I mean? I mean, that is about your natural curiosity. Right? Sense of discovery. Yes, and just tapping into that. And just I'm interested in you as a person. Yes. And not just tell me who the producers on your album uh, are. And hate those. <laughs> right? But like... You know, what did you go through while you were making this record? And, you know, marriage counseling, even though you seem to be good. I mean, that is such an important part of it that a lot of people miss, I think. But that's what I said. It's all about that sense of discovery. That's the beauty of being a fan. You know what I'm saying? When you're a fan or you're an individual who is naturally curious about people, it's that sense of discovery. Like I'm sitting there talking to Pastor John Green and his wife, and I hear that, and I'm like, oh, man, that's dope. Then I start thinking like, damn, should me and my wife? Go to marriage counseling because I mean I go to therapy for mental maintenance, you know what I mean I go to therapy for that so why not do that with marriage counseling too? And then her his wife started talking about how you know marriage counseling is good because every week you go in there and these little tiny issues you're getting out these little things that you didn't even think that, that your partner didn't even think were bothering you you're saying that week as opposed to letting it build up for months and months and months and months and then when y'all finally do have a nap a, a, a argument. Something as simple as, yo, you didn't take the trash out turns into, and yeah, by the way, motherfucker, last month you did this and that. And that. You know what I'm saying? You get it all out every week. So I don't think that's a bad thing at all. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. 
Each of NPR's Black voices are as direct, varied, distinct, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. Do you think about the quality of your voice, like the way your voice sounds? Um, that's funny you say that because I, I I used to, but I I don't anymore. But then I was listening. I, I'm, I'm on this. I'm on TV One Uncensored, uh, the Uncensored show. I'm gonna be on it this uh, Sunday on TV One. And I and I'm listening to myself, uh, and I'm like, damn, I sound a little weird. Like my voice has changed over the years. I, I'm like, I don't, I don't feel like I didn't feel like I sounded like that. Like I literally was listening to it this morning, saying that to myself. So, I don't know. I don't I don't air check myself as much as I used to. You know, you know what the air check is in radio when you would listen back to your show, and I don't really do that. Like you know, I I, I watch interviews every now and then. But that's that's about it. You used to listen to all your oh, shows. Oh, all the time. Back. Oh man, when I first started radio, when I started in 1998 at Z93 Jams, every show I'd go home and listen to every show. When I worked at Hot 989, every show. When I worked in Columbia at the Big DM Hot 1039, I listened to every show. Looking for what? Just trying to be better. Um, one thing that I was always told, my man George Cook, salute to George Cook. He's the operations manager at K104 in Dallas. He was my the first person to hire me and give me a full time job in radio. Still a great mentor to me to this day. He uh, would always tell me I need to have more of a conversational tone. So I was always looking for that conversational tone because he said it always sounded like I was screaming at somebody and talking at people and, instead of talking to them. And I don't think I really started to develop the conversational tone until I started working with other people in the studio. And when you start working with other people in the studio and having conversations with them in there, you're not screaming at that person when you're talking. You know, so it's like I think I started to learn it then because I started to really understand what it meant to have that conversational tone on the radio. So once I started working with people, whenever I would do the show by myself, I still understood how to have that conversational tone. But I think I really mastered it when I was working working with Wendy because she's the queen of the conversational tone. Like no, she's your friend just talking to you by herself. Yes, think about that. Incredible, sitting in the studio by yourself for four. Hours before I got there, she was in the studio for four hours by herself, yeah. t- 
talking. And, yeah. I, and I've seen her do it. Like, she could do a whole show by herself. Yeah. Trust me, there's been times Wendy did not want to talk to me. And she would ice me out and act like I wasn't there. So I would be sitting there watching her have a full conversation with herself. That's, it's unbelievable. Can you show us the difference between talking to the listener and talking at the listener? Like, what does it yeah, sound ta- like? Talking to the listener is like, Power 1051 is your home for hip hop and R&B. Uh, this is that new Drake, God's playing. Yo, you seen that video? That video's amazing, yo. Drake gave out a million dollars. Shout out to Drake. <laughs> Up next, we got the new Fetty Wap. Uh, no, Fetty Wap ain't got no new music. Whatever, it's Power 1051, hip hop and R&B. <laughs> like, that's talking at the person. You're not even, it's, not, it's like you're not even acknowledging the person. It's like, you, you're, it's like you're driving in the car and, you're, and I never wanted to be an announcer. That's and exactly. talking with them is more like what? I'm talking right now. It's the, yo, it's the world's most dangerous morning show, The Breakfast Club. Angela Yee, DJ Envy, Charlemagne the God. And it's like, yo, man, you know, um, salute to everybody who came out to my screen in a wrinkle in time last night, man. Wrinkle in time, I'm telling you, it's the perfect daddy-daughter date. Like, I took my daughter to go see it in L.A. And, like, you know, you're going to be asking your daughter one simple question when the movie is over. Will you come look for me? Like, like that, it's just, you know it's what I'm saying? Conversational. Like, that's regular. It's that's, regular. Right. It's what it. I might say to you at the barbecue or whatever. Or, or, or asking the question, have you seen, yo, have y'all seen the movie Wrinkle in Time yet? Yo, I wouldn't took my daughter to see it last week. Like, I'm asking the question. You're driving in your car. You're like, nah, I haven't seen it. No, yes. Now, no, now Charlamagne telling me why I need to go see it. You know? Like, that's the difference between having me talking to somebody and being an announcer and just yelling. Like, free pizza! Come get your free pizza! Like, that's, that's literally how it sounds. But even, even, even without the volume difference, I can hear a big difference of I'm just having a monologue versus I'm having a conversation that allows you in, even though you're not literally here. Yep, absolutely. So how many jobs, radio jobs, did you have before The Breakfast Club? Uh, six. Breakfast Club is the seventh radio station I worked at. I worked at Z93 Jams in Charleston, South Carolina, Hot 98.9 in Charleston, South Carolina, The Big DM in Columbia, South Carolina, Hot 103.9 in Columbia, South Carolina. I worked uh, WBLS with Wendy. And then I worked in Philly at 100.3 The Beat. I did my own morning show. And so in Philly, you had the morning. Philly, I did my own morning show, yeah. How did you get the morning with Philly? Because you were, with Wendy, you, yeah. were, you, were, you were a second banana. Yeah, I mean, I, mean I, always, I, I came from doing my own show. I always did my own show until I got, well, in Colombia, I started working with my man, Big Sexy. You know, that's, that was his radio name. His name's Bill Black. Sweet <laughs> my man, Bill Black. So we did the Hot Boys together. And then for a brief moment, I worked with uh, my homegirl, Venom. And we did we did nights together, and then when I got with Wendy, I was working with Wendy. But but before that, I was always doing my own show. Even when I was in Colombia doing radio, I had my own show on the weekend called Charlemagne the God's Concrete Jungle. So I come from okay. always having my own show. Okay. And um, Philly just really hurt me because of Wendy, which was interesting because I worked with Wendy for like I think I worked with her from February of '06 to November 2nd of 2008. And the reason I remember the date I got fired is because. On November third, President Barack Obama became president elect, and um, they, they, that was when the economy was all messed up. So they literally fired like twenty people from okay. WBLS. I just happened to be one of them, but then I realized the impact I had, guess I had had on that show because people cared. Like it was in the New York Times that I got fired, and you know the news station wanted to come interview me, you know, for getting fired, and like it was just a a thing. And I was like, wow. So then, like five six months later. You know, I, I got hired to do mornings at 100.3 to beat in Philly. And they hired me solely based off 
what they had heard me do on Wendy's show. And uh, Elroy at the time, who was the program director, and my man Johnny, and a young lady named Moshe, they was just like, yo, we would always hear you on Wendy and be like, yo, Charlamagne can do his own show. And I guess it helped too when Wendy wasn't there and they would let me do the show by myself. Like, you know, I, I, like that's a big deal to be able to do Wendy's show sure. by, by yourself. Yeah. You know, I mean, Wendy wouldn't never let me totally do it by myself, but I would get like five minutes, eight minutes, and then I would have to throw to a best of segment. <laughs> but it's fine. You know what I mean? I'm going to make the most of this eight minutes. Right. It's a funny story. I actually, uh, Media Takeout popped off because of the Wendy Wins experience. Fred, Fred will tell you that right now. Because when I would do Wendy's show by myself, it was just this one day where I just kept getting all of these crazy-ass stories from this website called Media Takeout, this brand-new mm. website. And it was stuff like Kelly Rowland's pregnant and this and that. And I remember Wendy got mad at me, like, yo, this site isn't even a real site. It's not credible. I don't know why you using these stories, like yada, yada, yada. And then when she got back, she was using those same stories because <laughs> they were just so good. <laughs> you know? So The Breakfast Club is the is definitely the best st starting gig, hosting gig that you've had. Just the platform is huge. It's a morning. It's a big station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, yeah. no shots at the other stations, yeah. but but you know this is like you know I'm first base on the Yankees now. Yeah. How did you get the Breakfast Club? I got the Breakfast Club based off um, the stuff I was doing with Wendy, but more so the stuff I started was doing in Philly. I was only in Philly for eight months, eight nine months on 100.3 to beat, and. Um, you know, it was Charlemagne the God in the morning beat. But what, what what it was, the beauty of it was Philly is a what you call a PPM market. And, you know, PPM was a new rating system that, that came in. And I think it replaced Arbitron. You remember Arbitron, you would just, you'd get a diary and you would just write down what you were listening to and what show you were listening to. And that's how they got ratings. PPM is real time, meaning that you wear a device and, you know, whatever you're listening to at that moment, it picks up. And that's how they get numbers. How many people wear the device? I'm not is sure. It like twenty thousand. It's like a tiny. Is it a tiny? Yeah, number? it's not big. It's not big at and all. And off of what the small number of people do, the ratings. Yeah, are one one person could could shift everything. But <laughs> but if you remember when Wendy was on BLS, she didn't do good in PPM. Like she literally went from number one to number fifteen, number twenty, which lets you know the device was flawed. Mm, yeah. But eventually they got it together. So by the time I got in Philly, I took I had the number two show in the city. Okay. Right? So Power 105 in New York was looking at all of that. They was looking at that kind of stuff like, oh, wow. Because, I mean, it's not like the radio, uh, the talent pool in radio was so large. Okay. So if you're looking to make changes in major markets, you're looking at a certain crop of people. I just happen to be one of those crop of people. But when they realized, like, oh, wow, Charlamagne can do numbers in the PPM world. When I got fired from Philly, Power 105 was the first people to reach out. I didn't get the job right then. Well, my man G-Spin and, and Cadillac Jack, they were the first person to reach out just to have like a general meeting and general conversation and see where my head was at and see what kind of person I was. At the time, they didn't they didn't really like my management, though, which happened to be Wendy Williams' husband, Okay, you know, Kevin Hunter. So when I finally did get the job later on, not even get the job, when I went back to meet with them about five, six months later on, you know, one of the first things Cadillac said to me was like, so is Kevin still your manager? And I was like, <laughs> nah. And then that's when he broke down to me about how people in the building were like, you cannot hire Charlemagne if he is, if Kevin's his oh manager. Boy. Yeah, he's just, he's got a toxic energy and you cannot bring that in here. And so when I, when I told him that I didn't have him as my manager more, no more, whatever blessing was being blocked definitely opened up because that's when they hired me. So they were coming to you this whole time? Were you going to them? Were you, were you... 
trying to create things or I was on the I, I think when I got let go from Wendy, you know, we threw some we threw some darts against the wall to see if they would stick, you know, what I mean just to let them know, "Hey, I'm out here." You know, give, you know, if you don't know who I am, you know, be familiar. And um I think Philly is what made everybody when I was in Philly doing radio, that's when I started getting on a lot of people's radar because a lot of the things I was doing went viral like the interview I did with Cassie and Red Cafe, uh you know, when I interviewed Freeway Ricky Ross or um you know, the Beanie Siegel interview that that uh when he was going at Jay-Z like Stuff like that, like all of that stuff was going viral, so people was knowing me then. Like and that's when viral was a big thing. And then the way I got fired from Philly, I got I, I, I aired the Beanie Siegel interview on a Thursday, played it back on a Friday, uh, played it again that Monday, got fired that Monday. But immediately when I tweeted out like, "Yo, thank you for the past six seven months, Philly," immediately the, all the blogs started picking up and was like, "Jay Z, did Jay Z get Charlemagne fired?" <laughs> and I ran with it. I'm like, yeah, I don't know if he did or not, but that's gonna read very well in a book did, one day. Did he? I don't think so. Cause when he came to the Breakfast Club, we asked him, but he didn't answer. You <laughs> he, know what I'm saying? Like that. He doesn't answer anything. And he don't have he, to. He doesn't answer. Quite, I mean, he's a brilliant interviewee. Yeah. In that he knows how to not like a politician to not say anything, and you don't even realize. He didn't really say anything. He didn't really answer the question. But can't you tell how therapy has helped Jay be an even better interviewer? Like, I always thought Jay was a good person. I, I love watching people interview Jay-Z. I love the Rap Radar interview he did. I love the interview I think he did with the New York Times. Like, you yes. can tell he's more open because of therapy. Like, even when when the way he would respond to Elliot and, and, and B-Dot, he'd be like, y'all got me talking about all this shit. You know what I mean? But you can just tell he's open to it because of therapy. Mm. I mean, he's always been open if you know how to, if if you know how to do it, if you know how to, you know. I I, I talked to him for Rolling Stone once, and it was it was like six months after his uh, nephew had passed. Remember oh wow, that? wow! Yeah, in the car That's that he had yeah. bought him, and I was like, I mean, we were in his office, and I was like, can we talk about that? And he's like, no, and I didn't say anything, and he said, no again. And he took an even longer pause. He's like, no. And I'm like, I'm not saying anything. All right, a little bit. And then he, and I didn't even say anything. And then he went into the story. And just, you know what I mean? If you, you know, like you were talking about, if you pause, if you listen, you know, you can get a lot out of people. Yeah, and I mean, by the way, that's respect too, though, right? Like, what kind of dickhead would you be if you ask him, yo, can we talk about your nephew dying? And he's like, no. And you don't respect that. Like, at the end of the day, these people are humans. Yes. And I think that's the other thing that, you know, I, I, I come to realize. Sorry that it only took me 40 years to realize that. But these, <laughs> these celebrities are human beings. Sure. Like, they're, 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 they're regular flesh and blood people. They got feelings, too. You know what I mean? Like, I remember I was watching even Birdman do an interview. And Birdman was like, yeah, you know, I wasn't really tripping off nothing Charlemagne said until my daughter brought it to me. You know? So imagine mm. that. Somebody's child come like yo Charlemagne said this about you and said that about you like so you you just under, like I never act clueless as to why people are upset mm. or as to why they may not want to talk about but that thing you're talking about when we think of them as celeb as people and not as celebrities mm-hmm. or special sometimes interviewers will ask them basically about you know their their icon and I'm like Jay Z does not experience Jay Z the way we do. He's exactly. on the stage. We're looking at him like, Absolutely. wow, you're the man. He doesn't experience Absolutely. it that way. 
but he experiences it like I get up and Blue is like, you know, Daddy, I want you to make me breakfast. And what is that like? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you know, so I, I think about, you know, all the times I met Jay, and I remember one time meeting him, and you know, I, I, just, I think Blue had just been born. I remember asking like, I was a baby, and it's like. Yes. That moment, and we was in a we was in a club. We was in the, like the forty forty club. I'm like, yo, how's the baby? And he was like, I could see the hu- all human. Yes. Like, yo, she good. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's that's like it was cool. We was we've been cool. Since I mean, it's almost like a cheat code. Like you see, as a parent, uh, how many kids you got? Two. Right. You see, yeah. I mean, you can talk to any parent on the subway at the Met, like wherever. Just go up to any parent, be like. Yo, kids are a trip, or kids are so cute, yeah. or so, and they jump right into talking about kids, and with you know, with a J, with a Puff, with anybody, like, how's your kids, like? But you don't see, you don't, you don't, you don't. Ex- I really don't think you experience love until you have children. Yeah, I remember my uh, my home my homegirl Dari Alexander said that, and she said, if you love your significant other the way you love your kids, then you're really in love. And mm. I'm like, you think that's almost an impossible task, right? But it's not. Mm. Like those are all my hearts outside of my body. My wife, my, my my daughters. Like I love my wife more now than I ever did in my life because I see how she is such a great wife and how she's such a great mother and we share these children and like I really understand what love is because of these two, you know, young girls that I have and, and I love her just like I love them. That's my unit. So you really don't experience like you know what true love is until you know you have kids. So that's why I think the the the, the real humanness comes into play. So we were driving toward how did you get the Breakfast Club, and I got they were coming to you. Oh yes, and yeah. Kevin was out of the picture. So yeah. now they're like, okay, we we we're happy with your representation. Yeah, well, which I had none at the time, and um, they started talking to me. <laughs> that's right, right. We're happy dealing with nobody. Yeah. <laughs> so they started talking to me in that summer. And then I think maybe around, yeah, like September, October, around the fall, that's when they started making the changes. This is 20... 2010. Okay. Because I was living back home with my mom in South Carolina. And I just happened to be up here one weekend and hit G-Spin up out the blue like, yo, what's good? And he was like, yo, I'm at the station. Come through. He said, you in town? I said, yeah. He said, come through. So I, I went to the station. And that's when the initial conversation happened. And I remember Cadillac Jack. And that's why I love Cadillac to this day. He's a great mentor of mine. He... Is a man of his word. Because he asked me, he said, would you want to work here? I'm like, hell yeah. He was like, how soon can you wait? I'm like, for this job? For as long as you want me to. Because like you said, that's morning radio in New York. Right. It don't get no bigger than that. Right. It don't get no bigger than morning radio in New York. Right. So, yeah. What number was Power 105 at that point in the morning? In the morning, I th- I mean, they, I, don't, I don't even think they would... They might have been top ten, maybe, maybe okay, eight so or nine. Not or even in like, the game. Nah. That's Who was number one in the morning at that time? Nah, Elvis Durant. Elvis Durant, eighteen thirty-four. Elvis still number one. Elvis Durant. Oh yeah, you're not beating Elvis. Out of where's he out of? In New York, Z100. Okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. You're not in. New- I, 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 I meant out of the urban. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely Hot 97. Or Steve Harvey, either, 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 Hot 97 or Steve Harvey. I'm not sure at the time. So, so. <laughs> So, when they're talking to you, you were the first piece of the puzzle. Actually, mm, they hired Envy, but they had Envy in the afternoons. Okay. I was definitely the first piece of the puzzle as far as, okay, if we're going to do a morning show, 
Charlemagne has to be on the morning show. Because I remember having conversations with Cadillac, and he was like, yo, who would you want to do mornings with? And I remember telling him Angela Yee. Because Angela Yee, you know, as, as far as being a, a, a woman, and not even just being a woman, just a radio personality, period. She was like, her her name rang bells just off doing satellite radio. And I remember Cadillac saying, but isn't she kind of like you? And I'm like, nah, she's just on satellite radio. So, you know, you hear the cursing, you hear the raunchiness, but me and her are like, totally different and plus I had worked with Angela as well because Angela was one of those people that when I was doing radio and um when I wasn't doing radio and I didn't have a radio job she would tell me to come up to her show and I'd sit in on her show and be her co-host for the morning show and that was good because it kept my name out there so I guess that's kind of like what planted the seed in G-Spin mind like yo they actually sound good together and I guess he had been telling Cadillac that's so when I told Cadillac Angela Yee he had his reservations just because of what he thought she was, but he was just, he, he was wrong. And then they bought in Envy. I remember sitting in Mike Kaiser's office and um, Kaiser was like, yo, you know what's about to happen. They about to put you in. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market. Dot com slash thrivemarket.com slash On March 16, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. In the morning, whatever, whatever, because you know all those radio people and people talking, they ask questions, what you think about this, what you think about that? And he was like, yeah, it's going to be you, Envy, and Angela. I said, Envy? I said, I haven't heard anything about Envy. And they was like, nah, it's going it's to be Envy. And then it, the reason they put Envy there is because Envy has a name in New York. Like, my name would come up when they would do perceptuals and stuff based off what I did with Wendy. And, you know, now the internet in Philly, people knew who I was. But Envy had a name as a like a, a mainstay in New York. So he was the anchor that they wanted in there with, with me and you. So what is the role, as you see it, of each of the players, each of the three of y'all? Um, I remember uh, Dennis Clark, our radio consultant, he would say Envy is the anchor, you know, uh, the family man. This is this is five, six years ago. The anchor, the family man. Uh, Angela was like... What do you mean the anchor? Sorry. Like the anchor, like the in and out person. Like the he'll, okay. He handles all the business. Power 105.1, home of hip hop and R&B. He does all that. Gets we us in and out. Special guest. Special guest. Yeah, exactly. And Angela was like the party girl, the socialite, the, the, the woman on the scene who, you know, knows what's going on, the ins and outs of the industries. And Charlemagne was the lovable asshole. 
That was that was our actual <laughs> roles. When we be in meetings and they had our roles written out, that was our roles. No, the lovable asshole. I love that, and you and you fully embraced that. Yeah. Were you doing that before Absolutely. the Breakfast Club? I've been doing that since elementary school. Okay, wait. You, I, I met you doing Wendy. Mm-hmm. I don't recall, and I was a huge Wendy fan before and after I was on the show. Mm-hmm. I don't recall you being that in the Wendy era. Oh, easy, easily. That what I was. That's what I was there for. I was a hitman for hire. <laughs> like, like Wendy. I you had you had. Did you do the Donkey of the Day segment on Wendy? No, I used you to call. Some, I used to call people donkeys. Yes, you did that. I don't. Yeah. I, I just don't remember the Charlemagne of, and maybe it's yeah. just my ignorance it's, um, of it's, the Breakfast Club. You know, the Darth Vader of radio. I don't remember oh, that definitely. as the Wendy era. I, I almost got into a fight with Flavor Flav without telling Flavor Flav he was cooning on Wendy. <laughs> Chingy came up there and I was like, yo, you like the poster child for whack rappers. <laughs> like, I, it was like, I was, I was a hitman for hire. Like, Wendy has, Wendy's made me get at people. Now, mind you, I, you know, Chingy and Flav had no problem with that. Wendy's made me get at people that I didn't want to get at, like Kelly Rowland. I remember she told you go attack. Oh, yeah, yeah. What yeah. did she tell you? Like I want you to get at her. I never used to ask no questions, you know. I want you. I want you to get at her. Get at. Get at. Kelly. Just get under her skin. Oh yeah. And, so and, then, would you do? Did yeah. You do the that? one time she did, I kept messing with Kelly. I was like, Yo, Kelly, we both sidekicks. Like, I was like, which was, which, which, which at the time, I was being, it was fucked up. Like, when you hear it back, like, and it was, and Kelly was like, Yo, dude, what's wrong with you? Like, and I felt so bad. And I remember. Kelly, uh, I remember the first time Kelly came on the Breakfast Club, and Lala, who I'm really great friends with, hit me up like, "Yo, Kelly's on the show." And Kelly said last time that she sat with you, that you know it wasn't a good conversation, and you know you need to make that right. I said, "Yeah, Lala, you know how it was." And I was at that other situation. I said, "I got you." So when Kelly came in, I apologized to her. I told her the truth. I got apologized. You told her that when he sent you. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? You know, I, I, I have seen in my career, if for whatever reason. The, you don't get along with X artist. You may never see that artist again. Yeah. You, you may or may not get anybody else from the mm-hmm. label again. So there's a tremendous social pressure to make sure that you get along with a given artist because there's any number of other people whose doors will close if you don't. Well, those days have changed now, though. What do you mean? I I, I don't think... Uh, well, first of all, I think people really feel like all press is 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 good press. So people aren't afraid to come in there and have those uncomfortable conversations i think labels push the artists like nah go up there go up there you need that you need that uh, if you got a pro- if Charlemagne says something about you and you know you don't like it go up there and you know talk to him about it have that conversation you know what i mean because they know it's going to lead to hits and views and nobody cares the conflict leads to hits and views Absolutely. so you you don't find ever that you are blocked from somebody or somebody says no i'm not coming because of what he said to me or what he said to my friend or you my know, label mate. I, I used to think that, but everybody has come. Like any, yeah, everybody like, seems to come. Everybody has come because, like I said, I don't think that they, they know I'm not being malicious. They know I'm not really trying to attack them. I just got an opinion, and I'm gonna let you express yours, and I'm gonna take it too. You might want to come up there just to say "fuck you, you little motherfucker, you ain't shit, Lenard, or whatever it is." I'm cool. So you accepting the Lenard and the Beanie and the Birdman buys you some credibility to be able to dish it out? I believe so. Because what kind of hypocrite would I be 
if I was just somebody that would always be talking to people and talking at people and saying what I wanted to say about people and not letting them respond. So there's nobody who won't come because you were rude or mean to them Drake, in the past? Drake has never come. Drake historically, definitely, like I'm not coming on The Breakfast Club. I don't know if that'll change in the future. Maybe. But he definitely was one of those ones that... But you've never talked to him. So it's not like I, he offended me and I'm not coming back. Have, have I talked to him? You you never interviewed Drake. Oh, no, no, no. no so no, it's no, not no. like he offended me back yeah. here and I'm not coming back. Oh, yeah. He was just upset about Donkey of the Days and, <laughs> you know, commentary I had made on the radio about him. Like, all of that. Like, I mean, I'm sure it's other people because it's people who haven't been on the show. So I'm sure it's other people who probably feel that way. I mean, is there somebody who you want, who you're like, I can't get because they're mad because I said such and such? No. That, I mean, that, that, is, that is amazing to me that the persona, the lovable asshole persona, is not chasing anyone away. No. But I, I honestly think they know it's coming from an honest place. Right. So whenever they feel like coming up to the breakfast club and dealing with whatever I got to say at that moment... They'll come and do it. So do you ever like do a rough interview and then you get a call from, you know, the label, the the Leors or whatever, that higher level where they're like, dude, what the fuck? Oh no, I tell them suck my dick. I don't want to hear that shit. <laughs> no, seriously. I like you can't own. I'm not I'm not ah! a, I'm not an industry person I don't like know that. You we, have, Cause I've gotten those calls. The article nah. comes out like, I can't believe you wrote that, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I've had you know, one, that's how I really felt, but and, and you don't you don't even get that. I've had two phone calls ever. One was from Diddy. One well, was from Jay Prince. Diddy's a caller. Yes. And Diddy, Diddy called me when I gave Donkey of the Day to, to the album Last Train to Paris. And I was like, yo, this is shake weight music. And, and I, I saw a tweet. And one of the tweets was like, yo, uh, if history serves us correct, Diddy's going to get Charlemagne fired. So I hit my man Sean Press. I'm like, yo, what's up with this? Why would he retweet something like this? He's, Sean was like, I'm going to get y'all on the phone. So we got on the phone. And mind you, Diddy had, had, didn't like when I interviewed Cassie. But but Diddy talked to me like a human being. Okay. Diddy was like, yo, that's my girl. Okay. How would you feel if somebody came at your girl like that? I, I, as a man, I got no choice but to respect that. I'm like, damn, he's right. You know, but that goes back to you realize these people are human. Sure. And, 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 you know, they're, they're, they're not just some, some robots. And then, like, after we got over that, and I'm like, you know what, man, you're right. I was, I was wrong with Cassie, blah, blah, blah. But last train to Paris, I you know I, that's, I didn't like the album. He was like, "Come on, man, you gonna get on this train?" So that so he don't have a problem with you not liking his music, right? But it was the it was the personal thing. And the other call I got was from uh, Jay Prince about Drake. Same you know, what? Uh, Jay Prince called me, and Jay Prince was like, "Yo, uh, it was from an unknown number. I don't even know why I answered it." He was like, "Charlemagne, you know who this is?" I said, "No." I said, "It's Jay, motherfucking Prince." He said, "He's stepping on my toes, Charlemagne." You on my toes. I feel you on my toes. <laughs> he was like, you got a Drake album at the house? I said, yeah, I do. He said, I want you to look on the back and read to me who the executive producers are. I'm like, Brian Birdman Williams, Ronald Slim Williams, Jay Prince. He said, exactly. You're stepping on my toes, Charlamagne. <laughs> he said, uh, you know, it's a lot of things that I don't like. I don't like Winnie the Pooh, but I don't go around saying I don't like Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then he said to me, he goes, can you promise me that you're not going, you know, you're going to ease up off my toes. And I ain't want to lie to him. Because I'm like, I don't, I said, yo, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can promise you that because I don't know what this man might do tomorrow that I may not like. And Jay Prince goes, well, I can't promise you anything then. <laughs> 
What's that supposed to mean? I don't know, but I didn't want to find out, you know. But this was this was years, 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 years ago. Has that? Oh yeah, Jay, my man. Me and Jay Prince have. Yeah. No, I mean, has that changed what you said about Drake on the? No, because this was this was literally like 2012. My rhetoric towards Drake didn't change till like. When when did when did back to back come out? When was that? Twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen. It was it was it was around the time when Meek had the ghostwriting and stuff and all of that. Because when Meek came out and was like, "Yo, Drake got ghostwriters, this and that, yada yada yada," they sent me those reference tracks, like those reference tracks that the dude Quinn Miller had made for Drake. They yeah. sent those to me first. Like I had those. I didn't want them. And the re- <laughs> and the reason I didn't want them is because you know I don't know if you remember when I played the audio of Floyd Mayweather reading. <laughs> And that, that, was fucked up. that was fucked up. That did not feel good. Nobody called me about that. I, I didn't get in no trouble for that. So you didn't like that. It. I didn't like that. I personally you felt bad about was that. like, oh, that was fucked up. Because I did it for all the wrong reasons. I did it because I'm like, yo, this shit, Jimmy Kimmel and 50 Cent and all these people talking about they'll pay him a million dollars to come read a Dr. Seuss book. And, you know, people want to know if Floyd can read. And we actually got audio of him reading. We putting that on right now. This shit about to rip. This shit gonna, rating's going to be through the roof, yada, yada, yada. I did it for all the wrong reasons. I was looking for a moment. I was trying to create a moment. So I was forcing a shot. Forcing a shot, it didn't feel good. So that's how I felt when I got the Drake, uh, the Drake uh, reference track. So I hit up Jay Prince, like, "Yo, man, I got these. I don't want them. Whatever, I'm gonna forward them to you in the email, whatever." And then I called another, I called a friend that I didn't even know was a friend of Drake, and and told her about the situation. And I guess that's when she told Drake, and then that's when the whole thing happened, and I ended up in the the bottle I mean, for Charlemagne. Drake. <laughs> Drake in particular aside, you're not trying to create moments, Mm-mm. but you've been part of so many. They happen Thank around you their work Thanks. so much. Thank you to God. Thank you to the radio gods. It can't be. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, it, 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 poker isn't luck. The same guys end up at the top all the time. It's not luck. Like, it, it can't be just luck and God that you keep nailing these moments. Maybe I'm, I, listen, I pride myself on consistency. You know, I like being consistent. Like, I want to be consistently one of the best multimedia personalities on the planet. So all I ever try to do is go on that radio station and perform radio at a high level and be authentic at a high level. Not 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 forced authenticity, because the problem I have now is you see all of these kids now, they think keeping it real is the, is the way to cut through in radio. Like, when you ask me... You know, uh, what What does it take to be a great radio person? And I said, be yourself. A lot of these kids aren't being themselves. They're trying to be me. Or they trying to be, you know, Jesus and Mero. They're trying to be what they see working. Just like back in the day, people saw Howard work and they tried to be Howard. They saw Star and Buck work and they tried to be Star and Buck. You know, that's what I see now. So it's just like, that's not being authentic. Being authentic is not having a a, a negative hot take just for the sake of trying to look different. Mm-hmm. Like, yo, you like Black Panther? Eh, it was okay. You know, I didn't really appreciate just Black Panther. Like, yeah, yeah, shut the fuck up. Yeah. It's a great movie. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, people are being contrarians on purpose. So for me, I never try to be that. And I think that's the... Uh, the ebbs and flows of me as a personality that people are intrigued by. Because some days they'll like me. Some days they won't like me. Some days they'll tell me I'm contradicting myself, but actually I'm just changing my mind. And I think I'm fine with that. Do you think you are harsher on women than men? Um, I don't know. That's something that I hear a, a, a lot of people say, but I don't think so. I mean, like when I look at the... There's all these, you know, Charlemagne's craziest moments, Charlemagne's most inappropriate, all these videos online. 
And they will generally be Charlemagne saying something aggressive toward a woman and her reacting. Yeah. Or a tough guy getting at you and you like backing up. Well, the thing with the women, it's not like I was ever like pressing them. I was being, I was actually being a fucking pervert. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like I was listening to the the TV one show uncensored, and I think I told it to Harry like, yo, you ever had somebody like walk up behind you and masturbate? Like that's just me <laughs> being a, a a pervert. Like I suck a fart out your butt. It's not like right. I'm, I'm not pressing the. I wasn't pressing the women like, yo, you ain't shit. Yada yada. I'll beat you up. Like I, that's corny. Like I would never do that. You know. But I don't think I'm a harsher on women than guys. I just think I was a a pervert. At one point in my life, like honestly, I was just I was a I was a fucking pervert. Like I was saying this vulgar shit to women just because. Like I, I really don't know. Like I maybe maybe I was in my freak bag at that at, at that time. Like I was smelling J Lo's chair. <laughs> like I, I, honestly, I, I, I mean, like, I'm, I, it, no shots about that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not mad but about that. Was that. Fu- that was fucked up. I'm not mad about that. Yeah. But I mean, in general, I mean, yeah, it does seem like you were. Because you could say some of those things to men, not necessarily sexual. I'm not gonna tell a man I suck no, a fart out of the butt. No, not, <laughs> no, no, that would that would be extra weird. Yeah. But but I mean, like we talk, you know, foul around each other in a way that you don't bring to the men. And I notice when these guys are going at you, you're not wild saying something crazy there. But then when it's a chick, you are more like who's sexy. You're more likely to be saying the perverted oh, stuff like, that you're talking about. I mean, if you watch me now, because that's the stuff with the girls. That's literally four or five years ago, like me talking sexually to them like that. But like you watch Monique, Monique going crazy on me. I'm just like, yes, man. Yeah. I'm not disrespecting her. True. You know, um, Fredro. I, yo, Fredro, you want five minutes, man? Cause I ain't with all the talking with a guy. Like, I, I, you watch the interview. I'm like, yo, we, do we, do we good or we need five minutes, man? <laughs> Like I ain't with all that. If you wanna, if you really wanna get it in, we can get in and all that talking. Like you say, like Beanie too. It's like yo, you, you you don't come from my world and this and that. All right, cool. I don't, I don't care. First of all, I don't care about that world anymore. Okay, I've been there, done that with that street shit. That, that I don't have no reason to try to prove myself with any of that. So I'm gonna say what I need to say to this man. And if this man wants to take it anywhere else, then things will be handled accordingly. Like uh, you know, and I'm not no tough guy by any means. But I'm going to defend myself if if I have to. I wanted to focus on radio because you're a legend at that. But you have also been extraordinary at expanding your career into television, podcast, book. I'm sure I'm missing other things that you're doing. Can you talk about how you have gone about expanding what you do? Well, uh, that word legend is a strong word, but I have been uh, consistently, I guess, good at radio. And I think that everything else is fruit off that tree of radio. Like, that's just something that kind of goes with being a a pretty decent New York radio personality, right? Like, I mean, there's not a New York radio personality you can name who wasn't good on the radio, who didn't get those other looks, like as far as television or, you know, getting the opportunity to write books or, you know, being movies, stuff like that. Like, just for me, I want to take it to another, another level. Like, I love what Steve Harvey's doing on the executive producing side. I love what Ryan Seacrest is doing on the executive producing side. Like, that's that's what I want to get into. Like, I don't want to just be talent at the end of the day. Like, I'm executive producing shows. Like, we got a show on Complex right now starring uh, NOIE, Nori. You know, called On the Run Eating. You can go binge watch all eight episodes. I'm the executive producer of that. I got a, 
you know, a, a show coming on MTV that I'm the executive producer of. I got, I'm a, a, a consulting producer in the movie Body, the battle rap movie that Eminem is the executive producer of and Joseph Kahn directed. Like, I'm, I'm working, you know, I got scripted shows coming. Like, these are just things, I'm watching what everybody's doing in every space and where can I add my creative input, you know? Like, I really do write. Like, I've always written. I used to write for Ozone Magazine. I used to have a blog. Like, I'm really writing my... I wrote my book. I gave it to Chris Moreau to edit and flush it out right, but I really write. So, yes, I write television shows. I write ideas for movies. So, if I get the opportunity to to to, to sell some of these things, why wouldn't I? So, are you going home from the radio and thinking about what can I do? How can I expand... I haven't done a book yet. Let me move in that direction. Yeah. Let me. I haven't done. Let me see if I can get at Revolt or whatever. Or or are they coming to you or both? Uh, it's a little bit of both. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I remember the first time, you know, uh, MTV Two offered me a television deal, and I was like, why? Like I honestly was. I was like, why? I remember hitting my homegirl Tiffany, who works at MTV. Like, why are they offering me a TV deal? She's like, I don't know, but take it. You know, I'm like, I. So I took it. I took that $50,000 a year, 55 grand a year, whatever it was, just to be a talent on MTV2. There was nothing on MTV2 at the time. Like I was like, but then it turned into guy code and girl code and guy court and you know, Lil Duval, Ain't That America, and I've had two talk shows on MTV2, Charlemagne and Friends and Uncommon Sense, and Andrew Schultz had shows over there. Like, so it it grew into something. And honestly, that's always what I've liked. Same thing with Power 105. Like, we started there. Like, nobody was checking for Power 105 the way they, they are now, but we grew it into something. So when they came to me with that television opportunity and I took it, I didn't know that it was going to turn into, you know, five years later, me executive producing shows and all of that stuff like that. I mean, okay, so when I know that doing The Breakfast Club is going to bring opportunities in the door, mm -hmm. but what I'm really interested in is is how you took things out, how you took the capital that you were building, came up with an idea, and sold that. So what's something that you did that you're, you're proud of that we can talk to the folks about? Here's how you use this level of fame at yeah. radio, package it up, and then create something bigger for yourself what well, i think uh the, the primary thing is like you know it all goes back to listening meaning that there's people in television in hollywood who listen to the radio so when these people are sitting down with me and they want me to be the host of some show i'm having conversations with them and just asking them questions about yo how did you get into executive producing like how did you shop this show and that that was one of the relationships i remember um i remember Bethany used to have a talk show, and I used to always be on Bethany's show. And the executive producer of that show, his name was Terrence Noonan. He introduced me to an agent named uh, Adam Nettler. So they kind of like took me on the whole scroll when it came to these talk shows and daytime talk shows. Like, yo, this is the next guy that y'all should be looking at to host a daytime show, whatever, whatever. So I started meeting a lot of people through that. And I remember uh, Adam introduced me to somebody named Doug Banker. Now, Doug is a TV guy. Doug's got like uh, a movie coming out. Uh, he's got the World Star movie coming out on Netflix. He's got he's a, he's one of the EPs of the Nori show with me, and it's like being that I knew him when Nori came on the Breakfast Club and started talking about how he had this idea where he wanted to, you know, be the new guy Ferreira or whatever his name is, or the new Anthony Bourdain. I'm like, oh shit, that just makes too much sense. Like N O R E niggas on the run eating, <laughs> you know. Back then you was talking about just you know getting money or eating however you could in the street, but now you are talking about eating for real. Like that just makes too much sense. I'm like yo, Doug, you know Nori? Yeah, I know Nori. He got this idea, boom, 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 and that's how you connect those dots, you know, by just meeting people in that world. You meet people in that world, and you're like, yo, I got an idea for this, 
And then you just get some agents and some managers that you trust, and they make it happen. Like, I'm still learning the TV world the way that uh, I... Uh, that I'm still learning the TV world. I'm nowhere. I'm nowhere where I'm going to be in that TV world. Trust me. That what you see Issa Rae doing with Insecure, and you see Donald Glover doing with Atlanta. I got one of those coming soon too. Like soon. What is it? I, I'm, I'm not gonna say, but it's it, <laughs> you, you, you'll see it real soon. You'll see the announcements and everything real soon, and you were like, "Oh shit! Wow, he told me that it was gonna happen." Like, cause I'm I don't just speak things like. Anything that I'm talking about now, the seed's already been planted. And that's what people don't realize. Like, Nori's show just came out this year. We planted that seed two years ago. People don't respect the process. That's why in my book, I talk about putting the weed in the bag. Because remember in, in Belly, when DMX and Niles was at the table and they was bagging up the weed and the two young boys was like, yo, we want to quit school and get money with y'all. And DMX was like, man, shut the fuck up and put the weed in the bag first. Then get money. You can't skip the process. You got to put that weed in the bag. Then you got to go hit the block and you got to sell that weed. Like, people don't respect the process. Like, everything, anything you see me talking about now, like when I told you about this show, trust me, that weed is already bagged up. Bag up the weed first. Jay-Z says it like, finish your breakfast. Other people say, take care of first things first. It is good advice respect the process build a foundation for your success and then go after it put the trees in the bag and then sell them because <laughs> you can't sell the weed until unless you're enterprising then you could but you can't build a bridge while you're walking across it thanks so much to charlemagne for his time and thanks to you for listening for giving you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and I hope this show can help you. I'm on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Please stop by and say hi. And if you like the show, subscribe, rate, review, and tell a friend who you think would like the show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Chris Colbert and the Young Turks, with help from William Jolly, Jason Wallace, Candid Nicole, and our photographer, Chuck Marcus. We'll be back next Wednesday with more knowledge from amazing folks because the man can't shut us down. Mm-hmm.